See, this is the real secret of life. To be completely engaged with what you're doing in the here and now. And instead of calling it work, realize this is play. Welcome to the Restore to Explore podcast, hosted by your soulmates from the Foot Collective Australia. I'm Jim Dooner. And I'm Mac Lyon. We're on a mission to empower humans to restore their natural health and function from the ground up so they can explore movement and life with freedom and confidence. This week I chat with Tom Williams from Breath Performance Physio all about the principles of rehabilitation. We delve into the importance of your beliefs and mindset, environmental and lifestyle factors, load management and progression, as well as social support. We also finish up with an actionable framework that you can take into each rehab session along your journey. This week's episode is brought to you by the TFC Soulmate, your ultimate all-in-one restoration and exploration tool. Made from cork, TFC Soulmates are an eco-friendly, lightweight and durable mobility, balance and foot training tool. This nifty piece of kit can be used as a massage roller for releasing tight muscles, a mini foot roller for the best darn foot rub you can imagine, a balance beam for endless play, and even a slant board for incline and decline training. It also includes two toe resistance bands to help get those stiff tootsies stretching. Every TFC Soulmate comes with an in-depth online training system designed by TFC health professionals with more than 50 exercises and a fully structured program to ensure you get the most out of it. The Soulmate Training System 2.0 has just launched with a heap of new ways for you to move and play. Your Soulmate really is the perfect companion to mobilize your toes, feet and ankles, strengthen your lower body, improve balance, posture and alignment, and prevent and rehab common foot and ankle conditions like plantar fasciitis, bunions, ankle sprains, Achilles tendonitis, and so much more. Every order also helps Reforest Australia by planting one tree. To celebrate the relaunch of our podcast, we are now offering free shipping Australia-wide for all Soulmate kits. To learn more, head to tfc-shopaus.com. You'll find the link in our show notes. All right, Tommy W. We're back. Back in the hot seat. Yeah, it's a it, it, hot cushion. <laughs> yes, a nice, <laughs> a nice, comfortable hot cushion on the ground. <laughs> um, so, it's been a while since our last podcast. Ooh, how um, long? At, at least Over a year. Over a year, yeah. Yeah, because obviously we took the break and then I think our last episode was on... Um, Breathing for running or, so. or sleeping? Yeah, I'd say running. I think yeah. it was the last one. So we did a few episodes on the yeah previous seasons of the podcast, but we're back now with Restore to Explore, the new brand. Mm. Um, and we figured it'd be a good idea to have a series of episodes around just sort of, I guess, focusing more on that restore part, um, both of our backgrounds being physiotherapy and yeah, basically today exploring the principles of, of rehabilitation or restoration uh, and then diving deeper into certain common conditions that we see a lot of in clinic or that are, are experienced very commonly. Um, before we do, just for anyone who I guess isn't familiar with you or hasn't listened to your episodes, although I would recommend going back and listening to those, um, but just give us a, a brief rundown of who you are, your background, what you do, so on. Yeah, right. Yeah. So as James said, my name's Tom. I am the founder of Breath Performance. So I teach people a lot about breathing. I am a physiotherapist by a trade, a few years into that, which has been pretty good. And I, as what, sometime last year, officially became a foot nerd through the foot 
Collective. Essentially, very interested in helping people restore the ability to do the things that they love doing. And I have found that access point through breathing as the main thing. Mm-hmm. And then through meeting you and going further into the foot restoration stuff, sort of have created a nice little synergy between how your foot functions with breathing and vice versa. And what I think for like the last almost two years, probably we've been going at trying to understand all these things in more depth and just trying to propagate good, simple information to people that takes it from the clinic to you could probably try this, this and this at home and it will probably have some success. And then if you need any more help, we have other programs and platforms for that. So yeah, I think my my biggest passion is honestly just helping people. Mm. It's quite, it, it gives me the most joy and I'm sure it gives you a hell of a lot of joy and it makes what we do really fun. It's not really like work most of the time. Mm. And that's, that's a big part of how we connected is a, obviously, um, I think we're very like-minded when it comes to physiotherapy. We've, uh, I guess, obviously we've both studied as physios, but also sort of delved, uh, down a lot of this, a lot of similar paths when it comes to movement and, and breathing and, and just, I guess, an active and empowering approach to physio and rehab, which, uh, is where the whole, industry or the evidence-based industry is heading these days rather than the sort of, um, you know, we fix you mentality, I fix you, I'm the physio, I fix you kind of um, traditional model, I suppose. And that that goes to uh, a lot of different healthcare um, modalities. Yeah. Yeah. So um, very, very stoked to sort of have this new series and to distill as much of our knowledge and thoughts into sort of plain English mm. as possible. We, you know, you and I can obviously go very deep down with a lot of different rabbit holes when it comes to the body. Um, but we want to just try and make it all very easily digestible so that anyone can listen in and know what we're talking about and take some actionable points mm. out of it. It's like the frequently asked questions of problems for the foot and ankle, really, and trying to make them in an audio platform and easier to digest than just reading it on web pages. Yeah, and exactly. And also, you know, to kind of do the work for you in the sense of, you know, you could go and read a million things on a condition like plantar fasciitis and can get pretty overwhelming. But we see our role as like, well, let's kind of, let's do the digging, <laughs> distill everything down so that it's actionable and um, yeah, easily understandable rather than a whole heap of sort of jargon mm. and, and so on. We don't like jargon. No. <laughs> um, so in, that, in the spirit of that, this episode is going to be on the, the principles of rehabilitation. Um, interesting, I, I was just, I kind of like to search the dictionary meanings of things. I love Google search. And um, the dictionary definition, Oxford language definition of rehabilitation is the action of restoring someone to health or normal life through training and therapy uh, after imprisonment, addiction or illness. Um, and I guess I would add in there like injury. Um, I guess injury <laughs> the main thing probably. Come under illness. Um, but obviously we're focusing on the sort of more musculoskeletal rehabilitation. Uh, but I just like that definition because it uses the word restoring. We're, we're restoring natural function. Um, and I think as we've talked about in the first episode, you know, it's good to restore things, but it's once you've restored, get out there and explore and and see what else is possible. Um, because yeah, you don't want to settle just for, for average normal function, I reckon. Well, no, if, if you explore and you're playing, you're having fun, you'll find that those things cultivate a a far more enjoyable physical practice, like whatever it is, yoga, Pilates, running, cycling. Like if you can explore, then you, you have a buffer. 
And that, it makes it far more fun to do the thing you like doing. Yeah. You don't want to just be constantly rehabbing. No, that <laughs> is boring. That's boring. Um, so we, we've got a, a, a list of points that we think are important to as, as principles of rehabilitation and things that you should consider if you are going some, uh, undergoing some kind of rehab process. Um, the first one I wrote down was beliefs. Um, and that's something that maybe people don't usually think about. It seems a bit arbitrary and, and vague, like, oh, what do you mean? Like, how does my belief affect my rehab? But in actuality, and there's a lot of good research around this now, it, it really does. And you, a lot of your beliefs can be shaped by the traditional healthcare model in the sense that, you know, you go and see a doctor. Let's, let's say the most classic example, we're not going to use feet for now, but the most classic example it would be, oh, you've, you've got bulging discs in your spine. We imaged your spine. You've got bulging discs. That's why you have back pain and you need to not lift anything now. You need to avoid squatting. You know, you need to avoid all these things. Um, and it turns out that that actually is probably the worst thing <laughs> for your back. Uh, and that belief can stick with people and end up, de- um, I guess, debilitating them more than the actual injury itself or the actual structural issue. And that's where like, language and words are really powerful. So if you're someone who's experienced that, never always take what someone tells you to the full extent of full belief because we don't know everything and people will say that and they don't always mean to say it in a negative way Mm. but it it might resonate with you in that way and it's it's good to fact check it go across different domains because your beliefs are often uh, an outcome of your feelings or emotions and if you're feeling down about you know i have a bulging disc and that's causing my pain that can lead to a subset of behaviors and, and other things that can make it less optimal or worse, really. So make sure that, you know, your belief system is, it's, it's coming from more than one place. Like you, you've done a little bit of reading or a little bit of listening into other points of view, particularly mm. if you've heard something like that for any injury across your body. Yeah. And I think an overarching belief, because uh, yeah, like you said, beliefs drive behaviors and an overarching belief that people can get from, especially from the traditional model of, of like structural diagnosis. So like we said, there's bulging discs in the back or another one might be... Um, bunions can't heal. Yeah, bun- yeah, bunions are genetic mm. and can't be fixed or, you know, same thing goes for Morton's neuroma. Like they've identified some kind of structural issue in your body. And, you know, yes, that may be present in imaging and they've seen it and so on. So it's quite easy to believe. But that um, diagnosis can give you this belief that movement or exercise um, can, will damage you further. Mm. And so that is a, a very common thing that can sort of paralyze people and go, oh, I don't want to do any more damage to this thing. So I just need to rest it and I need to uh, avoid as much movement as possible. And that ends ends up in people will get into a cycle of avoidance and then that means they're even more sort of um, they become even more deconditioned and then the deconditioning in their body drives more um, dysfunction and pain and then it's sort of a a negative cycle complete negative feedback loop which will continue to feed into itself and unfortunately it often takes a circuit breaker or a break point which can be you know a different type of practitioner or someone else saying something that is completely out of their current Uh, scheme or a structure of their belief system to go oh that's not what i know Mm. and like that's that's important to just truly understand that if you are a practitioner listening like your words are far more powerful than you ever realize Mm -hmm. 
hundred percent. And sometimes, you know, changing beliefs isn't always as easy as just flicking a switch, especially if they've been ingrained for, you know, many years from different practitioners. Um, but, you know, sometimes it starts with, yeah, someone you trust saying, oh, actually, uh, I have seen this condition get better frequently. Uh, very frequently uh, in a lot of different people. And yes, it takes work and it takes effort, but um, it, it can get better. Probably the other thing it, it, it helps quite a lot, to be honest, is experience or probably mm. just the exploring part. Exactly. Right? The, the idea that you don't have to fully restore something back to its previous state always because it, how do you always get back there? How do we really know? But you can explore within your current sort of domain of like how sore you feel in certain directions or with certain movements and you can still find a lot of success and that experiential growth will hopefully for a lot of people be like the the circuit breaker. It's the, oh, I took and did a squat and it didn't hurt my knees. All of a sudden their mindset starts to shift with some positive examples. Mm. And I guess layering on that is a belief around I have to fix this structure of my body in order for me to get out of pain. And so that, you know, that's where a lot of people go down the line of surgery. They get told it's a structural issue. That's why you've got your pain. Okay, well, I have to fix the structural issue. So surgery is the only way to do that. And then they have the surgery and then they still end up with some kind of pain. And Or, you know, or they don't get the surgery because they're, for whatever reason, they don't get the surgery. And then the belief is, well, because I'm not fixing the structure, I can't possibly uh, improve this pain or this Mm. function. Whereas if you change your belief to, well, how am I functioning? Can I improve my function? Um, That's the most important thing. Then, you know, in the vast, vast majority of cases, it is possible to improve your function without necessarily addressing the structural issue. And with the function aspect of that, and I'm sure you'll agree with this, It's a day-by-day basis. Like every day can be different. Like some days you might be more fatigued because you haven't slept or you've had a late night because you're out at a work party or something and you might not be able to do the same amount of exercise you did one or two days ago. And that same exercise may cause you to experience some form of discomfort or pain. The idea that that function is the same every day, no, it just uses an experience. Like take it and like, okay, I felt bad today. I do it tomorrow. I feel good. And like that, concept is is so vital and that that paradigm is so vital for people to understand that Mm. rehab isn't a straight line or like exercise isn't a straight line progression your body doesn't work that way exactly if it did then we wouldn't have to make a podcast on these conditions yeah yeah it would be easy exactly and i guess one other belief i'm realizing that we could we could delve into a whole podcast in probably each of these points um but one other belief you know is and we've kind of touched on it is that pain is a sign of more damage being done. Um, because I'm getting pain, this thing must be bad for me. Um, or, you know, I have to avoid pain at all costs. So I have to cover up pain because it's bad. Uh, whereas, you know, a more up to date belief on pain is that it's feedback from your body. It's protective. It's trying to protect you. Sometimes it's overprotective and, um, you know, can, can be disproportionate, definitely disproportionate or even not, not proportionate at all to mm. what, uh, what damage is occurring in your body. Um, so we, we will have to explore the topic of pain, I guess, in more depth mm. anyway, but just understanding that there is a new understanding that there is a new understanding of pain in the science, um, especially over the last 
you know, decade, a couple decade. of decades. If anyone's interested before we get to making a podcast, explain pain or yeah. like the Noi group. Like they've done such amazing work mm. at like distilling those really hard concepts into really good activities and books and just podcasts on it as well. So I'd highly recommend checking them out for that sort of stuff. Yeah. And because pain is, is very multifaceted and there's very rarely, this is on, on our on our sort of list of points to cover here is root cause, but the, mm. there's very rarely only one root cause for um, an injury mm. or, or especially a sort of ongoing pain, persistent pain. You know, if you fall off a ladder and you <laughs> break a leg... Which is not ideal. Which is not, not ideal, then yeah, that's kind of like the root cause. It's pretty obvious. Mm. But the conditions that we see most people struggling with uh, are the conditions that hang around longer than they are expected to. And usually there are, there are multi faceted problems. Yeah. It's a multi, there's for a a lot of people, there's often going to be some physical thing that is occurring. Like we never take away that, that that couldn't be a thing and should definitely be explored, but your thoughts and beliefs around the condition. Like if you're someone who believes themselves to have plantar fasciopathy, for example, it's like, oh, I have three friends who have that and they've never gotten any better. Mm. You you start to have evidence that this is not going to get any better. So it starts to provide your your framework of thinking that way. And then that just sort of goes further and further down. And even when the, the physical stuff can be sort of restored, that's just, it can still be a barrier to exploring how far can you push it because you've got this this sense of beliefs that has been proven to you essentially that I can't do these things or I should avoid these things because they haven't done them either. Mm. And being mindful that those physical injuries and your psychological sort of cognitions, beliefs, thoughts, emotions are always often tied into your injury experience. And just being mindful of that can really sort of empower you to understand, again, like look for different opinions. And sometimes it's worth seeking out one, two, maybe three professionals to, to get some hopefully some really up-to-date current knowledge yeah exactly and yeah so it's there's it's the bios it's referred to as the biopsychosocial approach and it's just recognizing that pain and injury and disease all have biological factors as in like issues with your actual anatomy and physiology um they've got psychological factors like around beliefs and emotions and and then also social factors uh around you know, how you interact with your community and, um, and your pain experience, and, like, cause they've done yeah. the research that's showing that if you have a loving and caring relationship, for example, your experience of pain compared to someone who doesn't have that support network mm. is, is far less. And if you just looked at it off a structural model, that doesn't make any sense. Mm. And the really good research that sort of backs up all those things and really shows in, in a nice way, it's a very interwoven web of, mm. of ways that you can approach problems. But it again, it can, it can get a bit messy if you don't have... A, you're not coming from from a nicer place too. Yeah. And so, you know, it's, it's very important to have that context that there are... It's very often multifaceted. There's possibly a lot of different root causes. However, that can feel a bit confusing and overwhelming. It's like, well, if there's so many different things, how am I ever going to solve it? So a few things that you can start to think about is potential root causes um, for an injury or something that's, especially something that's persistent, but for any injury really, um, generally there's an element of too much or too little, basically. So 
in the case of falling off a ladder and too breaking much. your leg, that's way too much. <laughs> so far too much load went through the bone in a certain way and it fractured and you've ended up with a broken leg. So that's an extreme example of too much. Um, but another obvious one is say um, someone gets off the couch, couch to 5K kind of thing. They want to get up and run. They decided they want to exercise. They want to get fit. So they get up and start doing um, you know, 5Ks a day. That's too much on their body that their body isn't ready for. And, um, you know, they end up with some kind of classic would be Achilles tendinopathy or plantar fasciitis. And it's just that they did too much too soon. So in a sense, it's like they did too much after doing too little for too long. And sticking to like your idea of like um, too much and then going to the too little side of bone stuff. Like if you're someone who is a bit older and you've you had some like sort of age-related changes and your bone mineral density is far less because you do a lot more sitting you're a bit more sedentary in that older age you can have a a smaller event for example Mm. and you might trip which is a very common one in elderly and they can fracture part of their leg particularly their femur that's not caused by too much in some sense it's more like the too little load which has led to their bone being less structurally sound than it could be or or it's not structurally sound enough to take on that event that would normally not cause any problem, particularly, you know, 10 or 20 years prior to that. And and too little can be just as um, problematic as too much. Yeah. Yeah. And I, inter- interestingly, the too little over time, like a lot of people and in general, we've talked about before on the podcast, like our society is very sedentary. We just tend not to move very much at all for a number of different reasons. Um, but it, doesn't usually present as an issue until you try and do something that is like past that point past that point yeah Yeah. so you might you might get away for sitting in a chair for 20 years without any issues until you decide to go and do that 5k or until you go and decide to start gym training and you realize very very quickly that your body isn't ready for that and Mm. so there's always this dance of um, capacity and demand on the body. And the more you do generally, uh, especially if it's gradually built up, the more capacity your body has and therefore the more demand it can tolerate basically. And the less you do, your capacity drops. So it's this seesaw, um, you know, balancing act. You you don't want to drastically exceed your capacity because that's where injuries and pain will occur. Um, but you also don't want to be sort of, you don't, you don't want your demand to be vastly lower than your capacity. Otherwise, your capacity will also drop. So, And there's so many different ways to approach that in, in training senses. Like you'll have people who will do the, the slight progressions each week of weight. Or you'll have people who will stick at a certain weight for a certain exercise for four to six weeks. Like a very long time. And then make a bigger significant jump because they've got the right patterning and stuff going under and really what we know at this point is that muscles seem to adapt quicker than your bone and connective tissue, like your joint capsule and the ligaments and stuff. And sometimes, you know, it's hard to know, is the bone ready for this? Is, is the tendon ready for this? And that can sometimes be trial and error. Mm. And sometimes there can be little setbacks, but I think that's kind of, again, the point, the, the exploration of those movements is not a linear progression, but your body needs that constant, and sort of changing load at some point because otherwise it, it gets to be honest it just gets bored and then it stops adapting because your yeah. body likes new experiences yeah exactly and so you know a tip a tip for rehab and restoration is to get excited about the process but 
go a little slower than you even think you can. Like, cause it's the tendency is to over, um, like what's the word over exert and then get injured and then get sort of a little bit depressed in the feeling of like, Oh, Oh, I tried and didn't work. And it's not that it, it, there wasn't anything wrong with your process per se. It's not your fault. It's just that you tried something. And then if we go back a few steps, if, if the mindset was in a, a better place of I tried, got hurt, I could probably just try less intense next time versus oh, that oh, was bad for me. Yeah, I, that's bad. I can't do that. I'm not doing that again. Yeah. And again, lots of reasons why that's the case, but if we can get that mindset around, it changes the entire narrative. Yeah, hundred percent. So planning, planning out your, your process and working with a practitioner can be very helpful with that because they can give you tips on sort of what to try first and how much to try and so on. Um, but really at the end of the day, it's, it's down to you to do the experiments and track what works for you, what doesn't, how much was too much, how much was sort of just enough. Um, so journaling and tracking can be a really helpful tool for that. Just mm. just becoming your own scientist, um, getting a bit of guidance and then adjusting as you go based on how your body responds. Because no one can tell you how your body will respond. It's literally a matter of you trying it and seeing it. And, then, and like Tom's just said, not uh, seeing a flare up or something like that as a, as a sign that you shouldn't do that thing. It's a sign that you probably did too much too soon and you can back it off next time. And and even if you're feeling like that's someone that's, that's you, like you're someone who tries really hard and and you have those setbacks, like the next two points we've gotten written down here, like environment and lifestyle. And I think the the lifestyle one's really important, right? Like it's a lot of things that you can do in your day-to-day behaviors that can start to load your body in, in ways that you're probably not even thinking about. So often, we, as we said at the start, and we talk about if I'm sitting on the floor in lots of different positions, I'm exposing my body to different loads, a concept that we learned very well from Katie Bowman. But that that idea, it doesn't seem like I'm loading or I'm working. I'm just mm. sitting in different positions. And that alone is going to be a change in your behavior and a change in your lifestyle because you're going to be, I'm on the ground now, my hips are opening up a bit more. Maybe I can try this other exercise now. And yes, sitting on the ground, it's not as much as doing like a hundred kilo back squat, but it's a constant small dose of load, which you don't really get hurt from. You get signals that you're stiff and that you need to move, but you're constantly listening to that and then changing position before anything ever blows up yeah you can't really properly injure yourself you might just you, the worst is you'll get a, yeah, a little bit stiff and sore you stand up and you're like oh i probably sat in that position for mm. too long so yeah starting out with those lifestyle changes like very very small and you know there's a book called tiny habits that we both really uh like and recommend um but just start with tiny little things and build up gradually because we've said at the start that Rehab isn't a linear process, but it will become much more linear if you avoid doing that too much too soon over and over again. We've, I mean, I can speak for myself. I've been in that cycle uh, with my knee pain. Um, I think we've years all done ago. it at some it's point, right? It's just like you, you start to feel a bit better and then you go out and do a, you know, a big session on, even if it's like a massive rehab session or just like, oh, they feel good. I'll go down to the park and do something. Um it gets very depressing if you're mm. just going one step forward, one step back, one step forward, one step back. And I guess on that note, you know, especially with feet, then that one step forward, one step back thing can happen a lot if you're doing these exercises and rehab for your feet, but you're not actually changing the shoes that you're wearing to 
uh, accommodate or encourage natural foot function. So if you're doing toe spreading exercises and mobilizations and strengthening exercises, and then you're putting your feet into an environment which is narrow, stiff, cushioned, supportive for the most part. Yeah, exactly. Then, you know, what's going to, what's going to win out is probably more like one step forward, two steps back. Mm. Whereas if you're doing the exercises and rehab along with a transition to shoes that promote natural foot function and promote a more active, strong, mobilized foot, then the, the progress will be much more consistent and much more, um, effective and enjoyable. Uh, I think the cool part for both of us is like doing this now for a few years because a lot of these long-term foot changes take years to come on. So they're going to take sometimes a bit longer than you would like for them to change. Mm. I think the best and biggest benefits I've seen in my clients when helping them has been the ones who are doing more of the littler behaviors and like the bigger exercises. It is honestly like, okay, if we can get you to a place where you can wear a more minimalist like shoe and you're practicing human toe spreaders or wearing toe spreaders and we're doing like these little drips of exercises every other day or you're exercising doing whatever you want to do in barefoot they're the ones who seem to accomplish the task and get to where they want to get without much of a setback relative to the ones who uh, i mean this is a stereotype and i apologize for using but like the business person who has to wear the rm mm. shoes or has to wear the heels we, we still make improvements but it takes longer it does take a bit longer yeah yeah and so it's just considering all of these aspects of your environment and lifestyle and again trying not to get overwhelmed by them but identifying certain things that you like for instance you know bunions or morton's neuroma that's it's so clearly related to tight narrow shoes if you're struggling with those conditions then you really need to switch to some wider shoes like otherwise you're really going to struggle to make progress Mm. um so, you know, it's up to you, depending on your condition and your lifestyle and your, your environment, you have to go through and, and figure out what you think is most likely contributing to that. And then again, we can give ideas for that. People who come and see us for sessions, um, we can give ideas to, um, and there's plenty of, plenty of things you can look up, um, through our previous podcasts and YouTube videos and so on. But, um, identifying those things it's a big point there though like with all of the podcasts that done all the information out there is for anyone who is listening there's a lot of hope there like there are so many options that you probably haven't even thought to explore just yet and that's one of the biggest things we try to instill in everyone that we see or everyone we talk to about this is like the the hope makes you feel like it's worth doing like it's worth the the effort sometimes it's worth the days where you don't want to do the work like there is a hope because you know what you're trying to achieve and you can get there like you definitely can you just maybe you got to try something you haven't thought to try yeah yeah exactly so yeah delve into those um resources especially all the podcasts from the previous seasons there's a lot of good ideas in there um but yeah look for those things in your behaviors in your environment in your lifestyle that might be um perpetuating this issue that you're experiencing um we sort of talked about the concept of load management as we've gone um, a lot of people somehow still, uh, of the, you hear it all the time, like, oh, you've hurt yourself. Like, make sure you rest up, get, sure get a lot of rest. Yeah. Put ice on it. All these sort of classic things. And yeah, the injury management model is still, uh, seem 
traditionally is rice, um, rest, ice, compression, elevation. Um, Which is updated constantly since that thing now. Yeah. We're up to peace and love now, I think, aren't we? Oh, yeah. yeah probably. An- yeah, another one. Yeah. But really what we want to get across is that rest is really what you need is relative rest. So, yes, if you've had an injury, you're not going to be able to do as much as you um, could have done before the injury. But that doesn't mean you have to completely rest your body to heal. In fact, one of the best things for healing, um, for sort of quick and fast and effective healing, is to keep the body part or and your body in general moving as much as possible without flaring up or, um, you know, doing any further damage, obviously. So... And the key word you've written there is like in variety. So like in, yeah. a, in a number of different ways. And the really easy summary of why that's the case is your body heals given the load that you put into it. So if you're someone who, let's say, sprains an ankle and it's just one of the ligaments on the outside of your ankle that gets sprained, the rest of it's relatively okay. If you just don't do anything and lock it up, it will just heal stiff because your body wants to make sure that it doesn't happen again. But if you're from day zero, same day, moving it through ranges slowly, you're trying to teach the body in a sense that I need you to go here or heal here. You're laying down the markers of the way you need your body to heal for you to get back to the level of function and, you know, that you want essentially. Mm, mm. And that idea of relative rest is, again, if I push too hard in the same way that I hurt my ankle on the same day, it's probably going to hurt. That's all right. Let's not push there. Let's just move in the the pain-free zone or what you perceive to be pain-free, play there, and that will continue to build out. And it quickens the rehab so much. Oh, So, so much quicker if you start doing that, like almost for any injury in multiple directions. Yeah. For so many reasons too, Mm -hmm. biological, psychological, like it just, it makes a massive difference if you if you don't see the rehab process as starting with complete rest. <laughs> um, and even if you like, even if you have a fracture and you really do need to, I like, um, uh, what's Com- the word? Well, well keep uh, it restricted in range of yeah, motion. Like completely yeah. isolated range of movement mm-hmm. and load, then keep moving other parts of your body. Like mm-hmm. don't see that as a, as a reason to just go on bed rest because the more you move the other parts of your body, you know, you might break your leg, but you're able to do chin ups and push ups or something. Mm-hmm. Um, or you're able to do single leg squats on the other side. There's actually interesting research that shows that if you train one side, uh, even while another, the other side is casted, if you train one side, then it helps the neurological connections in the other side. So staying active in whatever way possible throughout your rehab process um, is going to be mm. is going to be key. So and along that line, and we've kind of alluded to it as well, is that you don't want to you don't want to be experiencing a lot of plateaus in your rehab. Um, you want to be able to cons- like obviously you need to be consistent with what you're doing, um, but you need to be progressing it as well. And I think this is where a lot of, I guess, traditionally physios are seen as giving out these really silly, ineffective exercises, like such low load, such, you know, like the banded external rotation, for example, is a great one. Yeah. Everyone's been given banded shoulder external rotations um, or like hip standing hip Mm. abductions. So these exercises that you know probably do have a role in very very early stages of rehab they need to be progressed both you know 
in terms of load and intensity and also integrated into other functional movements and then explored more with, you know, different play-based tasks. So... Well, it's even like having a, a better framework there. Like, mm. you know, what what those often low-load exercises are trying to do, they, they, they often give them with very... Uh, the right nature, like, but that's just what people were taught. So mm. sometimes it's not up to date with like what they need to be doing. Like you need, uh, which we have a framework, which we'll say at the end, that sort of summarizes everything we're talking about, but having a better framework and, and a place of reference of what type of exercises might be more beneficial for certain injuries. Like there is heaps of ways to do an external rotation of your shoulder. That is not use a band. Like there's a bunch of cool calisthenic exercises. You can do it like on rings or within pull-up positions. Like, there's so many. And in, like one of the things I learned from Adam Meekins ages ago is like one of the highest activating or rotator cuff muscle activating exercises was a deadlift. Hmm. It's like, it's like, oh, huh. There you what, go. What's, what's going on there? Well, it makes sense. You're picking up a heavy thing from the ground and like a lot of your arm has to be involved. So again, it's just, it's having the right context for your exercises that often get given. And unfortunately, just the, the framework that a lot of physios we were taught in school was not the best one or the most up-to-date one that we could have. Yeah, and exercise tends to be sort of drastically underdosed, I think. Like, And I, I think part of that comes from a, a, a fear, even from the practitioner, that they're going to do too much. And like it, it's, And we've just talked about, you know, the importance of not doing too much too soon. But... That's why you have those feedback mechanisms to show, okay, well, how did you go with that one? Can you do more? And you, it's a constant uh, experiment to see what you can handle. Um, and, you know, usually you get signals or feedback from your body if you're listening well before you do way too much. Mm. And so it's it's about learning that that dance with your body. And, and the, the test free test model is the best thing for yeah. it, right? Like if you, if you do a movement and let's just say for the sake of it's a squat and then we go, all right, I would like you to do this exercise right now for X number of reps, sets or seconds or whatever. And then you get back up and you go, my God, my squat feels easier, right? Cool. And this happens a lot. So anyone who's ever worked with me will know often the next day you're sore. You mm. are actually sore, whether it's because of the tendon loads that we've been doing or the muscle activation, like whatever the, the drills are. They, they come back the next week. It's like, oh, I was sore for two days. I'm like, yes, that's the point. Like that is the area that we want to highlight that shows you that you, you haven't been working it as much as we probably need you to do to do the thing you want to do. But the, the framework, the mental framework has been, it's yeah, it hurts, but I'm not worried about the pain. It's like Tom gave me this exercise my leg hurts. Ah, oh, it's actually because it doesn't, it hasn't been working well. And ah, oh, yeah, it's okay. Like it'll be better. It's better by the time they come back and they understand it's not, oh, I've done too much. I can't. And that's all the mindset. And, mm. and the understanding of the signals too, mm. because a, a, a muscle soreness from doing an exercise in a certain way is different to a, a, a massive flare up of your condition, mm. you know? So I know for my rehab, um, for for many for many many months, uh, I was trying to do it myself, and I was you know underdosing how much exercise I would I would be doing for my knees because um, I was scared I was going to flare it up. And then when I went to a, a practitioner and started working with them, then yes, my legs would get really sore, my quads would get sore from the session, but then my actually my knee pain kind of felt a bit better. Mm. And it's like so you need to know. <laughs> 
it's sometimes that sounds obvious, but a lot of people aren't really tuned into what's good soreness and what's sort of quote unquote bad soreness or what's productive soreness and what's... And that's um, just having the right idea of like, what's the point of the exercises or movements that you're trying to do? Like, where are you trying to make someone feel something or where are you trying to do it when you do it yourself? Yeah. And having that awareness is key. Yeah. And so understanding that there needs to be progression um, and that's where I think having a practitioner to help you is really amazing because um, it obviously it keeps you accountable so it's you're generally more consistent um, but also things have to be progressed otherwise like you said at the start your body won't keep adapting to the same it gets bored. input it gets bored it's like cool I can do this now I don't need to lay any more adaptations because I'm not being challenged mm-hmm. so the, it, things need to be um, sort of continually challenged um, and it needs to be in that sort of Goldilocks zone of not too much, not too little. And that Goldilocks zone will be constantly evolving. Mm. So it's up to you and, and your practitioner if you're working with one, but really at the end of the day, up to you to figure out what that Goldilocks zone is for mm, you. Definitely. Um, another, another principle is to think about, and we've kind of just talked about how low, uh, how low load exercises in an isolated way aren't really enough. But they do have their role. And so thinking about the body as like, if you look at it from how is it functioning as a whole, as like a holistic sort of perspective um, in all of its different facets and natural and functional movement patterns. Um, And then if there's an issue with those patterns or with anything as it's functioning as a whole, well, which parts might be contributing to those issues? And yes, you might need to do some isolated work on those parts but then you need to integrate them back into the whole. And I guarantee that for most people, when you start to address one part of it, you will end up finding that there's probably another part that's a little bit sore somewhere else or it gets highlighted almost from the nervous system because mm. your brain's pretty smart. Like the nervous system's really smart. It doesn't want you to think that there's 17 sore spots. It's like highlight probably the one of most concern for whatever reason that is start to address the area and then you'll probably find that oh my foot now is feeling different to how it used to feel and again it's just being able to address what that sensation feels like to you is it threatening is it just like muscle soreness joint stiffness or like whatever it is but you'll often find by doing that you'll go oh yep there's a new spot yeah and and the example you just gave before was a squat like say this is a great example of a whole part whole approach you go Let's have a look at your squat. It's a very natural, you know, fundamental human movement pattern that you would most, everyone should really be working towards a good squat. So you have a look at the squat. Um, hmm, Restricted down there, unbalanced, uncomfortable, feet are turning out, whatever. Let's mobilize your ankle. Let's just see if that's, if that's a part that needs helping based on, we also tested you need a wall and it's limited. Okay, so let's, Mobilize your ankle, then you get up and you do another squat and it looks way better and it feels way better. Done. Cool. That's that's very... Um, it know, always it's, works it's, like it's, that too. It's yeah. exactly like that. It's very. It's always that easy. Um, but it, interestingly, it is. it does happen a lot. Often when you address the right part, the hole gets a lot better without really having to train the hole. You might not really even look at squat technique or... Um, you might not even load the squat necessarily, um, but you fix a sort of quote unquote fix or you address a certain part of that movement pattern or a part of the body 
and the hole gets better automatically. And then when you do that, you are able to load and train the whole pattern like a squat um, better and easier and safer versus which, which just... Which would be your exploring section, right? Like yeah. that's the idea. Like you've restored the function to the thing that you're trying to do. The th- if you're someone who's a big gym goer and you want to squat heavy, then like your exploration is lifting heavy and mm. you want to be able to do that. We might, you know, differ in ways that we think could be more beneficial, but like that's your explore and that's good. Like go, you can do that because you've restored function somewhere else. Mm. And I think a lot of people are probably used to having body parts treated and doing things to isolated body parts, but then it's just missing the integration into that whole um, pattern or that sort of broader view of how the body's functioning together. Mm. Um, And then you can get into a cycle of like, oh, that ankle hurts again. I'm going to go and get it treated and fix the ankle versus, well, now the ankle's better. I should do a lot of different squatting movements and patterns to keep it good. Mm. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Um, and I think something we've been alluding to the whole time, another principle is, is having a, uh, tapping into that social or community side, um, of either an accountability partner or a practitioner that you trust to either guide or support you along the way. If you're doing everything by yourself, it's hard, it's hard, <laughs> it sucks, hard. it gets lonely, um, you're much more likely to sort of skip a day because you can't be bothered or life gets in the way or something. Mm. Um, and you don't just, you just don't get an outlet to talk to someone about how yeah. you're going with it. That's the, and that comes back to like more deep seated understanding that at, at the heart of it, biologically we're social beings and we have been for as long as we can sort of figure out and having someone to talk to about what you're doing or someone who's doing it with you or just doing it in a place where you can talk to someone in between sets of doing something is going to be more enjoyable for you than going into the dark room and then just doing it by yourself. Mm. And then, yeah, my ankle's moving good. I feel good, but what's the, what's so the, what? yeah. Like what's the point? <laughs> like it have, it's not bragging, but being able to get excited to people about your progress mm. is important. Like yeah. you should feel good. You did the hard work. Yeah. And I think there's a, there's a few facets to this like you don't want to be that person who's just chewing the ear off anyone who listen about how bad your pain is in your back or your foot or something like that, because you know, that's not a great way to make friends. But if you have a conversation with like a a trusted friend or a family member, you're like, Hey, I'm going, I'm taking on this rehab process. Um, I'd love someone to sort of talk to and get excited with me about my progress. Would you mind if I like, you know, if we have a chat every week about well, how I'm going? A really good example is that like with the TFC Mining Network that we have, like when people go through some of the lessons, like mm. there's always a lot of tasks that get them to comment or talk. And naturally and organically, you see people, if you, you know, five people in a row have this a same or similar condition, they've never met each other, but it often evolves into like, oh, I really hope you, you're going well with this. And like, being in that right environment with that right group of people mm. becomes very supportive. And then you, again, you're, you're more likely to have less pain experience and you're going to probably succeed in doing the task because you're like, Oh, I feel good. Yeah. And having people to bounce off and uh, you know, that's where a practitioner who sees these kinds of conditions all the time is helpful because they're really generally, they should be good at bouncing off with you about different ideas of how to approach certain things, but it, it could be similar to someone else who's gone through that process as well from like a, from a rehab um, perspective, doing their own rehab, um, bouncing off ideas with you and, and 
and thinking about different ways to approach it. Um, and that's from the rehab context. And, and as you were talking about before, if you're going to maintain a good level of function and then explore your potential, doing it with people is much more fun uh, and much more likely to, to be uh, sustainable because we historically and evolutionarily we've always moved as as a group and as community we've hunted together we've gathered together we've built together um and so you know finding a a movement practice or a group of people it could be in person at a at a facility or it could be a um you know an online community um, online programs but somewhere where you can where you know other people are working on the same things as you playing with the same things as you and you can sort of talk to them and get excited and it just it does make it's again it seems one of those vague arbitrary things but it can make absolutely all the difference in the long run it does yeah so that's a lot of different things um and we wanted to. Well, Tom's got this cool framework that he's been running with. Yeah, so running with it. We just want. Yeah. We wanted to sort of distill all of that down into a, um, yeah, a bit more of a structure so that you can just go straight ahead. If you've got some kind of rehab or you know someone else um, who's going through a rehab journey, then you can sort of say, well, here's yeah. this structure yeah. that you could roll with. Something simple and. Uh, started doing it because I, I like when things are just simple and that we can break them down so people can understand. So the four P's, uh, there is technically a fifth P. I'll touch on the fifth P at the end, but mm-hmm. there's four main P's and it's plan, prep, pattern, and play. So in your plan section, really what you're looking to do, let's say you've got some exercises or some movements that you're going to do, you're best off writing that down or having it written and then having your intention driven to in this session, I'm going to try and accomplish this. Because when we go into something with intentionality and we have sort of dictated the time, place or when we're going to do it, you're going to be far more likely to do it. It allows you to be more present and your focus is going to be up. And when those things all sort of mesh together, besides the fact of you doing the behavior, your body, your nervous system and you as a person are going to have a far quicker progression because you're very attentive to what you're doing. And I think it's a very underrated part of doing any movement practice is just being very present because we you and i talk about all the time flow states and being in like this sort of state of peace and happiness when you're just doing something fun hacky beaming kicking a ball playing ping pong like but it being present is very key mm. so i think really playing that out and then that's where the journaling and tracking of stuff comes in very important the prep stuff and this is sort of just touches on our sort of part to whole sort of movement or whole part whole if you're you know, struggling with your ankle, but you want to do the squat, maybe your prep work is going to be a couple of exercises around my ankle that are going to help free it up, going to help it move. So then I can go into my pattern section, which is pattern the squat, if that's the thing that you want to do. So look at it like, you know, people would call it prehab in some sense or just rehab or whatever, but it's just movement preparation to get you ready for the patterning movement that you want to do. Mm. And I think that's, again, a very good part. It sort of breaks it up so you know that this is work I'm doing to do the thing I want to do. And then the final part, which again, we probably think the world needs a little bit more of, which is play. Like, and again, play can be anything for anyone, but we're just a big fan of get out and do things, try different stuff, have fun with it. We do a lot of locomotives. We play around with stuff, but the whole point is like those first sort of three sections, you are restoring. You are trying to build that function back to where you need it. The last play, the play is explore. Explore Mm. everything and enjoy the process that you've just done doing the thing you like doing. Yeah. And I think that's a good point to uh, sort of just highlight is that 
even if you're in a rehab and restore sort of phase where you know, you know, maybe you've got an injury or some kind of pain that you're rehabilitating, it's still generally possible to get some kind of play going even in those rehab sessions. And especially after you've done some kind of like, for example, we've just been talking about the squat, you've done your ankle prep, you've done your, maybe your knee mobility, your hip mobility, and then you do your squat patterning and all of that is kind of work focused, um, just getting your reps in and being attentive to how you're moving and so on. But then finding a way to explore that same pattern in in a way that is sort of different and playful and creative. So a good example would be doing a squat on a beam. (laughs) Yeah. You could do it on your toes. You could do it on your heels. You could do it, you know, just balancing or even just on flat ground Mm. doing a squat on um while balancing or like we've you just said doing a squat while you're sort of crawling on the ground in like a what's called a frogger type pattern Mm -hmm. where you're just hopping forward like a frog yeah um they're just things that make it like besides playful like you're a bit more unconscious of doing the actual squat it just sort of becomes patterned in because you're trying to do a frogger not do a squat and exactly you will find that if you can do that it will quicken the process of your patterning of whatever the movement is Mm -hmm. yeah so and what's the fifth p actually the fifth p is plus plus so the way the way that i reckon bonus uh, yeah yeah it's always it's a plus section essentially there's always going to be other things that you can do so a lot of the stuff i do with breath work for example i don't make ask people to do say salt water up the nose or the eucalyptus oils or like steam showers for example you don't need to do those things but here the things will work really really well that i don't really want you to program in just play with them like if you find that yeah if i have a, a steam room or a sauna my nose feels good do that mm. like have fun with it mm-hmm. but the plus section is always again it kind of just opens it up a little bit further to if you know something that works for you that is not dictated in your program just because the practitioner says it or the program does, like doesn't say it or whatever still do it like you have that luxury because it is your life mm-hmm. like find the thing that you enjoy doing and just explore for sure love that <laughs> the plus yeah the plus um so yeah it's it's all comes down to I love. I actually really love that framework for for each session, knowing what you're planning for that session, what your goal is, what the structure of that session is going to be. It sort of just takes all of the guesswork out while you're in the session, um, knowing what you're preparing for, what pattern you want to prepare for, doing that prep, and then playing around, um, and then also just like we've talked about, addressing those lifestyle and environmental factors because you could do the perfect four or five P's uh, every day. But if you've got factors in your lifestyle and environment that are blocking you from improving or um, disrupting your progress, then it's going to get pretty frustrating. Yes. So um, that's pretty much where we can wrap it up. Yeah. I think Um, that's that's a really good framework for all of the condition-based stuff to come. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to be doing deeper dives, like we said, into common conditions and just giving you as much actionable tips or as much background understanding and actionable tip actionable tips as possible um and try to you know trying to have a very up-to-date um perspective on it all based on the research and the evidence and and what we've seen with our own clients and tom and i are both now offering online physiotherapy consultations um which have been working surprisingly well so far there's a lot you can do online just by you know it's, it's mostly like a coaching process, like just have a chat. How, where did this condition come from? 
how's it been going so far? How are you moving? What do we want to, where do we want to get to? And yeah, it's, it's a very collaborative um, process that, you know, doesn't involve us fixing you with our hands, but we can sort of offer a lot of insight and, and perspective for you to fix yourself. So if you would like to learn more about that, or if you want to work with us, just feel free to get in touch, send us an email. Um, and there'll be a, a web page that you can check out in the show notes as well to just get some more of those details. Um, and otherwise stay tuned for the, the following podcast yeah. from Tom and I will be strapping in for a fair few. Yeah. It'll be a ride. <laughs> <laughs> Looking forward to it. All right. Thanks for listening. Adios. Adios. Thanks for listening to the Restore to Explore podcast. To stay up to date with all things TFC, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at thefootcollective.oz or on TikTok at thefootcollective. If you're ready to restore and explore your own natural function, you can check out our range of physical and digital tools at our online store, tfc-shopaus.com and use the code R2E10, that's R, the number 2, E10 to save 10%. You'll find all the links in our show notes.